Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Hey, this is Darren Hayes. You've probably heard me on the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch. Well, welcome to my journey of learning more about sports history. And we're going to do it by learning about the great athletes and the uniforms that they wore as they both tell a lot about the games that we love and have watched so much throughout most of our lives. These are the chronicles I'm going to share with you on what I've learned through my journey in the Sports Jersey Dispatch. Hello, my friends of sports history. This is Darren Hayes of the Sports Jersey Dispatch Podcast. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your place for all things great in sports history. And welcome to another episode where we are going to talk to a guest that has a vintage collection of uh, memorabilia that's uh, very exciting to the sports world. Uh, we have heard him many times over on his own podcast, When Football is Football. He has uh, multiple books on uh, NFL history and uh, some other football history, uh, including When Football was Football and the Bears versus Cardinals. Joe Ziemba is his name, and we've talked to him quite a bit over on the Pigskin Dispatch side. Uh, Joe, welcome back to the Pigpen. Darren, thanks so much for having me again. It's uh, I always say it's an honor, but it truly is. And to talk about some of these things that uh, maybe we haven't shared a lot with people, football history, and now talking about collectibles. So um, looking forward to it, and thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, thank you for joining us. I, I know we've talked to you a lot about football over on Pigskin Dispatch, but early on uh, on this podcast, we we had you know, some guest appearances talking about some baseball here and there. You've talked uh, you know, to us about some White Sox uh, memories that you had and some things that we did early on in the program. So we appreciate you for that. So you were not only known as a football historian, but uh, you have the ba- we know you got that baseball in you too and some other surprises we're going to throw in this uh, episode as well. But uh, Joe, you uh, we talked and you, you showed me a, a few items. You have some photos that we're going to put up on jerseydispatch.com of parts of your collection. And I was wondering, you know, if we could go through them, you know, piece by piece, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about them. You know, uh, you know, maybe there's a story behind them, how you got them. You know, if you, you know, in memory of that, the individuals that uh, they concern, or some items like that. Well, that would be great uh, just to preserve sports history. No, I'd love to talk about that. And Darren, I'm a collector who didn't know he was a collector. And all of a sudden, after a lifetime of experiences, you look in the basement and say, what's in these boxes? And so there's a bunch of stuff. So, yeah, I look forward to that. Baseball was my first love. Um, I grew up in a football family, but love baseball, love the Chicago White Sox, and look forward to an annual trip or two to uh, Comiskey Park or some guys on the South side called Kaminsky park. Uh, <laughs> now white Sox park. It has different names with the, the new ball field, but yeah, I started out playing baseball as a kid, as most of us did collecting baseball cards, but I wasn't very good at the sport. I remember uh, being put in T-ball by my dad and I was so bad. I struck out four times in one game, which is kind of hard. Think about it in T-ball. And that's when they give you 30 swings to strike out. But I remember I was disappointed because the coach came to me and said, you know, Joe, uh, I don't know if you have it. And I was four or five years old. And (laughs) he said, we're going to have to make a move for the good of the organization. And 
he traded me for a large chocolate shake at Dairy Queen. But <laughs> the bad part was my dad was a coach, but uh, we we got along after that. <laughs> wow. Okay. So it sounds a lot like my my story of with my dad coaching. It's, uh, definitely. But well, speaking of uh, Comiskey, you have uh, a great artifact from Comiskey that you shared in a photo, and it's uh looks like a, a piece of building material, and perhaps uh, you'd like to talk about that. Yeah, this is neat. I've always wanted to buy something from the ballpark over the years, and this is before eBay came into uh, more familiarity, uh, but you'd see things you'd like to buy, and I thought, oh, it'd be great to have a seat and mount it in the backyard on the patio, but I couldn't afford it. And then when the old Comiskey was torn down, some entrepreneurs collected the bricks and put a little plaque on them and, and sold the bricks. And they sold quite well. And I was one of those that was very happy to have it. It's still on display in my house. And even on one side of it has a little bit of the old white paint because the ballpark was painted white in its later years. And it, it probably tells us, yeah, this is a, a brick from old Comiskey Park. Uh, so really happy to have that. And again, so many memories from that place. And of course we all had baseball cards back then. And I don't know if you're, you've had baseball card collectors, but uh, what an industry that's become. And you kind of wish like a lot of people, you had those old cards that maybe you didn't get a uh, clothespin and put them on the spoke of your bike to make a noise when you went by and you had a 1952 Mickey Mantle or something worth $10 billion. But we would uh, get those cards and talk about the White Sox and listen to uh, the games on little transistor radios and and go through our cards. And Easter was the big day, Darren. On Easter, you still wouldn't get an Easter basket. You're too big. You're seven or eight or whatever. But you'd get a peck one of those single packs of tops and tops would come out and it smelled so good with the bubble gum and the rich kids on the, on the block, they would get a whole box of tops. I was so jealous, but uh, they weren't really rich. I don't know. Their dad probably just uh, found a deal somewhere from someone else, but you know, you'd go through your, your new cards and go, got them, got them, don't got them, got them, got them and toss them in and trade. If you have doubles of one guy and, uh, Maybe I got a nice Sherman Lawler car from the White Sox or a Larry Doby. And then you'd kind of like to see if you could finish your collection for the year. But it was so exciting to have our own team right there on the south side of Chicago and collect the cards of the players you were able to see out there. And, of course, later in life, you learn nobody's really from Chicago. They're all from all over the place. I was disappointed at first, but later I understood. <laughs> yeah, that's was always I can remember, you know, collecting football cards and baseball cards when I was a kid. It was like uh, a mini Christmas, you know, because they would always come yeah. out the new ones like the beginning of summer, it seemed like for football anyway. And you you'd go to the corner store that was right around you know around from my house, and I think the each pack was a quarter or something, and you'd save your pennies up for the, the week and you'd go over there and buy a pack or two and take it home and unwrap that that paper, you know, it was almost like opening up a present and, uh, Ooh, and the smell through them, <laughs> the smell. And then, uh, you put the gum in your mouth and, uh, you say, well, maybe the card tastes better than this, but uh, <laughs> might, be more, <laughs> might be more chewable, but, uh, yeah, the, we weren't collecting the gum. That's for sure. Was, yeah. I remember, uh, one guy in the block who said he wasn't going to open one of his packs every year. And we'd say, why, 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 why won't you open it? Could be somebody good. It could be a Mickey Mantle or Hank Aaron or Willie Mays. He said, no, I'm going to save it. Could be valuable someday. And we go, oh no, these cards aren't going to be worth anything. <laughs> so I bet that guy, he's probably living in a 42 bedroom house now selling those after selling those cards. <laughs> probably is. You're probably right. <laughs> 
Oh, very, very interesting. But you have a, another artifact that's uh, you know connected to baseball that's uh, extremely interesting. Uh, it looks like it's it's in a frame, and uh, it looks like a cover of a well-known publication with a famous picture on it. Yeah, that would be Life Magazine and Joe DiMaggio, the famous Yankee Clipper. And uh, near the the conclusion of his life, I shouldn't say conclusion, but uh, he was still around signing autographs of places, as were guys like Mickey Mantle and Ted Williams. And they'd always stop somewhere around the Chicago area. And um, this is actually when I was uh, out of the house and married and was working so I could uh, go to one of these things and plop down a few bucks and get one of those just because I liked it. That was the fun of it. You could finally afford to buy someone's autograph and it wasn't very expensive then maybe $20 compared to what it might be today, but Mm -hmm. just the thrill of waiting in line and saying, Oh, there's Mickey Mantle. That was my hero. And, you know, of course, later in life, we know more about Mickey and I've read the books about his off field uh, capabilities and things he'd like to do. And you wonder, Oh, wow. But no, that was the Mick. He glowed. And uh, Joe DiMaggio is very friendly. We heard things that he wasn't, but he's a little older by then, but just so neat uh, to have some of these photos and autographs of players that you grew up really admiring and found out that they were, they were people like us. Now, from what I understand, uh, you also had him sign your Mr. Coffee coffee pot that you use every morning, too. No, that's that's just a... a, As long as it was decaf, Darren, because, you know, you put caffeine (laughs) and caffeinate me, I'm I'm gone forever. So I apologize. (laughs) Well, that is a very, very cool thing to have framed. And uh, I'm sure it looks quite uh, elegant in your collection, uh, hanging on the wall or on your table, however you have it. Uh, Yeah. but something that really catches your eye, and this is, uh, you know, the photos you sent me, this is what really jumped out at me and I studied the most, is you have a picture of a lot of uh, encased baseballs uh, with some writing on it. And, uh, you know, really excited to hear about these. Yeah, I, I started collecting baseballs and again, didn't know I was a collector, but I thought I would try and find at some of these shows as an adult getting major league leaders to sign a ball. And so that, way i've got uh say pete rose who was the hits leader um we've got a i think a willie mays in there and a mickey mantle again uh don larson who threw a perfect game so they're all ones that i decided to limit my interest to those who were done something special like a perfect game in the 56 world series by don larson uh or if he's a favorite player or a record holder uh, along the way so um, I've got to dust those off. At least I had the foresight to put them in, in plastic cases and kind of have them on display in my, my little office here up in the attic where normally it's football going on. So those baseballs, they probably get together and they talk about me, but I, I hope it's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, one of the ones in the, the foreground of the photo you sent that we have posted, it looks like it might say Hank Aaron on. Is that that's Got right. One. Hank Aaron, what a gentleman. Yeah. And I was able to, to get his uh, signature on a ball. Uh, I remember I even that. got a Bob Feller in there. Bob Feller pitched. He was really? a teenage phenom way back when, and uh, he was still signing balls uh, uh, <laughs> well into his career or former career, ex-career. Uh, so it's kind of neat to, to have those and the little stories, which you're, uh, I guess, bringing back in my mind now when I got those and my reaction to them. And again, Bob Feller, wow, Rapid Robert. And here he <laughs> is in front of me, and I'm talking to him. And uh, la, la, la. here I am, an old man myself, and I can't speak English. But that was that was great. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, very, very interesting in, in that collection. 
And you, you also have collect a lot of other things. And I think, you know, before we came on, uh, you were talking and telling me how you did that. Your, your collection sort of morphed over into other areas outside of sports. And, uh, you, you sent a couple photos of, of those items as well. And, uh, well, we, we would love to, to hear about those as well. Um, one in particular, it looks like it's uh, something you know fairly popular from the 60s. And you know, we had the space age going on. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it looks very interesting. I see the word moon on it. All right. One of the things uh, that I really was happy about was I, as a kid, you hear about astronauts and going into the last frontier. And we morphed over from Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone to Ellen B. Shepard and John Glenn and all those heroes. And I think just about every astronaut from that early Mercury program wrote a book. And my first job in downtown Chicago was right across from a Crockett and Brentano's bookstore. A uh, really big one. Of course, Crocs and Brentano's, I, I don't think, are with us any longer, along with a lot of the other bookstores, unfortunately. But uh, they would have their authors come in, and I was able to meet Alan Shepard, who had written a book, uh, First Man in Space. Of course, John Glenn uh, did the three orbits, but Alan Shepard was uh, in space first and got his autograph. And I think I've got several of them that are... Um, uh, Neil Armstrong, who was very reluctant to sign, uh, I don't have a book by him signed, but I took a chance of writing him a letter uh, a few years after he was uh, on the moon and just asked if he'd like to be interviewed for a magazine I was working on at the time, which really had nothing to do with space. And he wrote right back and politely declined, but signed it. And I've always I've always worried to get a check because did he use an automatic pen, which collectors are afraid of? And I, I don't think he did because this was maybe after the, the wave of popularity had coasted down a little bit. And so having a Neil Armstrong letter to myself is really uh, one of my favorite uh, pieces of collection. So, yeah, I, I got into signed books and then signed books by athletes. Uh, Bill Bradley, the former Princeton New York Knicks star, wrote a book, was able to get signed. One of my favorites for a couple of reasons was Jerry Lucas, who played at Ohio State, member of the Olympic team in the 60s, mm-hmm. uh, All-American I also played pro ball, but he was a memory expert. And I met him, uh, this is going into the 80s, I think, when I was a uh, young conference organizer. And we would get speakers, uh, hopefully a, a name speaker. And I got him because he was a basketball player. And he had his <laughs> books there. But this memory technique he had, he could he could memorize literally phone books. And people he met the entire weekend, he would call them out by name. And so I wanted to learn how to do that. And I got his book and he inscribed it to my wife and I and uh, read the book. And it didn't help. I guess I, I missed some brain participles <laughs> up there somewhere, Darren. It didn't help with my memory. You're trying to increase your memory and you forgot what the book said. Is yeah, that's <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a you definitely you have a, a photo of that book that you shared with us. And we yes, appreciate yeah. that. Now, this next item we want to talk about, I'm not sure if you got it yesterday, but it, it must have been a hard day's night, uh, you know, eight days a week when you got this next photo. This is the Beatles before Ringo Starr was the drummer. And uh, that's another interesting story. I think his name was Pete Best. Well, I know his name was, but mm-hmm. I think I've got this at a uh, a show in northern Indiana where he lived for a while or he was visiting or something. But um 
sometimes you have things in your collection you don't really think about. I wanted to autograph him a Beetle. Still can't afford one. Uh, <laughs> but got Pete Best, who was in the in the band. And so there's a picture of him with uh, John and Paul and George of the Beatles uh, before Ringo took over. So you feel kind of sorry for Pete Best, but I'm always proud. In fact, I've got that photo on display now, and everyone wants to know, who is that? Especially you got kids or grandkids and stuff, and they're saying, who is that guy? And then the worst, of course, who are the Beatles? But right. well, that's another story. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very cool. I didn't real, I didn't recognize that Pete Best was in there. I was thinking it was the the, the whole uh, Beatles that we're familiar with with Ringo. Yeah, so oh. it's one of those photos that's cool but not worth anything. And I did spend time with a rock and roll magazine. Got to meet a lot of rock and roll stars. And one of the fun things about them was. Um, getting backstage passes because you were considered legitimate to go and interview a big star. And, and sometimes either I couldn't or didn't really want to go do a photo shoot or an interview with someone. So you would, you would send a couple of people on staff or if you're really desperate, your wife and her sister. And one of my <laughs> funniest rock and roll stories was they were just crazy about Tom Jones, the singer from uh, oh, the yeah. Welsh singer and women would go crazy. And so they've got uh, my backstage passes was for two and my wife was going to take notes and I was going to write a quick review of the concert. And she took her sister who was so crazy about Tom Jones and I gave him a camera. And so when they got to talk to him, ask him a couple of questions that were pre-prepared. And then they said, can we take a photo of you? And he said, of course, ladies. And uh, my sister-in-law, whose name is Shirley and decided to take a picture of Tom Jones until he pointed and said, ma'am, I think you've got to take the lens cap off. So we were <laughs> caught. <laughs> and he probably said that's most unusual to leave that lens yes, cap on. Right, <laughs> so, <laughs> very, very nice. Now, I guess probably the, the most curious uh, photo that you sent uh, in this part of the collection, it's uh, really intrigued me. I, I sort of understood and figured out what the other ones were, but you, you have a, an image of, it looks like an advertisement uh, of uh uh, maybe a, a, your favorite beverage. Yes, it's one of those cold beers, or if we call them on the south side, a grag. And you put that in your chalice, not your glass. And But it was one of the early endorsements by a professional football player. In this case, it was Pat Harder, the all-pro Chicago Cardinals fullback, who was actually the MVP for the Cardinals in the late 40s, MVP of the league. And so uh, I, that Blatt's beer, I think, um, a beer that we probably uh, no longer drink. The only one I, when I think of Chicago beer. Yeah, it's Blatt's. Okay. Oh, was, okay. Yeah. Uh, I was I thinking think Goose Island can... I'm aware of from Chicago. Oh, yes. <laughs> no, you got to be looking at Blatt's or Drury's or Schlitz. The beers that used to be famous or old style in Chicago that are hard to get now. But yeah, I, I, I got this. Uh, actually, my son got this for me. During the early days of my Cardinals research, which goes back a couple of decades, and uh, he had it framed for me, and uh, it's really a nice piece of art. It's an advertisement showing Pat Harder, as you can see, but uh, the fact that here he is, uh, one of the Cardinals players posing for an advertisement. And a lot of the Cardinals did that. Charlie Trippi and Elmer Angsman posed for Melk. I think there's another player who uh, was promoting cigarettes. So here you have one of our heroes with a cigarette dangling out of his mouth in the forties <laughs> or fifties. And these early advertisements are such cool pieces of art to display and a great, great face view of the player. And then his message, of course, which he 
probably didn't know he said that this put in there by the marketing. So that was, uh, yeah, that's Pat Harder. And I really love that piece. And it hangs proudly in the house. Well, you have a very inter- interesting and diverse uh, collection. And uh, boy, we really appreciate you you're sharing it with us today, Joe. And uh, we're going to be talking uh, here uh, very soon on Pigskin Dispatch and talking about some of your, your football collectibles. And uh, we can't wait to do that, too. So we appreciate you coming on and, and sharing this history with us. Oh, thanks so much, Darren. Thanks for putting up with me. I hope uh, one or two people have not fallen asleep as we talk about these things, but uh, really, really fun to talk about this and to bring back some memories. Thank you very much. Sorry, but my pitching coach just called timeout and he's coming out to the mound. I think I'm going to get yanked for a reliever. We'll see you back tomorrow for some more great sports history on Sports Jersey Dispatch Podcast. We invite you to check out our websites, jerseydispatch.com and pigskindispatch.com. Not only see the daily sports history, but to experience the preservation of great events and people that play the games. Find us on Pigskin Dispatch. It's also on social media outlets of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel. Get all your daily sports history. Pigskin Dispatch is happy to be associated with the Sports History Network, the sports headquarters of yesteryear, found at sportshistorynetwork.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.